This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. We're going to transition into the scripture here, and I'm going to ask you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the seat back, uh, or not, I always say that, under the tray, under the seat uh, in front of you, and you can open up to page 555. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're in a series going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're talking about how the gospel builds community among us, and uh, so we're calling it Together together. And uh, today we're going to continue in chapter two. We've just finished chapter one. And, and if you were here last week, the theme of this chapter follows very closely uh, to the theme of what we saw last week in the chapter. Well, don't get nervous about this illustration. Uh, was I speaking to me or you? Uh, Wednesday is the final presidential debate. And all God's people said, amen. 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 No, amen was the answer, not a groan. Amen. It's been a rough season. I want you to imagine the following exchange on Wednesday night between the two. We all know who the two candidates are. I'm going to call them candidate A and candidate B. And A could be uh, either uh, Mr. Trump or Mrs. Clinton. Candidate B could be Mr. Trump or Mrs. Clinton. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to call them candidate A and candidate B. And I want you to... Imagine with me the following exchange. It starts off, and uh, after about six hours of pregame, there's more pregame for the debates on news than there is for the Super Bowl. And uh, so beforehand, uh, you know, there's the pregame, and then they stand up there, and the first question is given them, and it's a policy question to candidate A, and candidate A answers, as you would expect, as we've seen, well, here's my answer to that policy, and here's how my policy will rescue the American people and probably the whole world, and my policy is fantastic. Now, though you didn't ask, my opponent's policy on this is terrible. It will bring utter death, destruction to everyone on the planet. Uh, it, is a, it is an insane policy. Uh, The policy is weak for this reason and that reason and that reason. It's out of touch with the people, and this policy is terrible. And by the way, you didn't ask me, but let me say something about Candidate B's character. Candidate B is a blah, 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 terrible, terrible person. Here's all Candidate B's faults. Here's all Candidate B's uh, just terrible things about them. Okay, Uh, time is up. And another thing, I wanted to say, you know, and on and on and on. (laughs) Then the response goes to Candidate B. And imagine candidate B saying, well, I just want to you know, thank you for the opportunity to be here. And in hearing my opponent uh, share policy things, actually, I learned some things. There's some really helpful uh, ideas shared in candidate A's policies. I really appreciate that. And as a matter of fact, candidate A pointed out some, some deficiencies in my policies that I just want to say, candidate A is right actually right. I mean, I, I, I hadn't seen this quite so clearly, but right, my, some, my policy will not help people because of X, Y. So I'm actually, matter of fact, candidate A, do you have time for coffee after the debate? Because I'd like to ask you some more about that. Uh, I'm learning from what you have to say, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm just acknowledging that I think I've missed it in some areas. Now about the character stuff I, as well, I guess I want to say you know what, you have really put your finger on some, an area I need to grow in. 
you have really identified an area uh, that I've tried to change in, but I haven't changed. I mean, I feel like Paul in Romans 7, probably never going to be said in a debate. But the, the thing that I want to do, I don't do. And the thing I don't want to do, I do. And there's really no excuse for it. Um, I'd ask you to pray for me which, that I could grow in, in this area. And actually, I'd ask all of you to pray for me. I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to be here because even the first answer has helped me uh, have a perspective on my life and my candidacy. And I want to do my best to embrace the things I just heard and change. Would that ever happen in a debate? It would never happen because politics is about personal power. Politics is about strength, popularity, influence, connections with powerful people, brokering deals for support. And in politics, you must, especially in a debate, always have your game face on so that you always appear stronger, wiser, more likable, smarter, and better suited as a presidential candidate. Winning the race for president is all about strength. Winning the race for president is all about powerful, about being powerful and about power. And that's why the kingdom of this world is in complete polar opposite to the kingdom of God. That's why the two don't mesh because the means of leadership are completely different. One is about power and strength and never letting one's guard down, never acknowledging need and weakness, always mustering strength. And when the other shows some weakness in any area, whether it's rumored weakness or true weakness, pouncing in strength. I want you to listen to the self-description of the greatest Christian leader in the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus is the greatest, but he is God. The greatest Christian leader in the kingdom of God and how he describes his leadership. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5, the apostle Paul. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you, I'm sorry, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness. And in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let's pray. God, as we look at this text today, I pray that you would show us the glory of human weakness and the glory of divine power through Jesus and him crucified. May we treasure the gospel, may we embrace our own weakness, and may we welcome and see your power in and through us, we pray this morning. 
Lord, even as I shared something of a joking kind of a debate, we do pray for our country. This morning, we do pray for leadership to arise that would honor you. We pray for leadership to arise that would reflect you. And we pray most of all for your gospel to go forth in our nation, for you are our hope. And Jesus Christ and him crucified is our desire to change the hearts of a people. So bring change to our our nation, Lord. Bring revival, we pray in Christ. Make our proud hearts humble. Make our boastful words, words that boast in Jesus and him crucified, we pray. Rescue us, our God, and rescue us from ourselves, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul's boast is Jesus, and his method of leadership is weakness. Not hiding weakness, but acknowledging weakness. We're going to see actually celebrating his weaknesses. It's, it's, an, it's upside down. We say, wow, that is an upside down world. I don't see leadership that way in, in athletics, in the company I work for, uh, in the culture. I mean, in, in the local PTA, I don't see that kind of, I don't see the kind of leadership that embraces, I see the kind of leadership all around me that grabs for power and celebrates strength and promises change. I see that all around me in culture. Well, the Corinthians did too, and that's why Paul is writing to them and saying it, 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 the, the, the gospel and the life of the church is the opposite. It's to be counterculture. We're called to a countercultural message, and we're called to a countercultural demonstration so that when people in, engage the people of God, they say, there's something different. There's a different spirit here. And that's the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul has to tell them uh, in verses we looked at last week, in verses 18 to 25, that we preach a foolish message, a message that's foolish to this culture because it's about a crucified Savior. That's foolishness to this culture. Secondly, he says, the culture looks at us for foolish, as foolish for believing. He says, not many of you were strong, powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. You were just regular folk, and God has done everything to save you. So make your boast in him. So now he says it's a foolish message for foolish people, so boast in him. And now Paul's saying, (laughs) and look at me. That's the very way I led you, Corinthians. That's the very way I came to you. Now you're pursuing power and wisdom and knowledge so that you're seeking to be better than others. And I'm saying, look how I came. First of all, number one, he came with a cross-shaped message. It was a cross-driven message. It was a cross-centered message. Verse two, I decided to know nothing among you but except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The NIV is even stronger. It says, I resolved to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. He came celebrating Jesus. He came celebrating the work of Jesus. Verse one, I I did not come proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. That's kind of his methodology. But this is the testimony of God. It was Jesus and him crucified. And he says, that's what I brought to you. Matter of fact, he says it so starkly, it's, it's, it's amazing. He says, I knew nothing else but Jesus and him crucified. Now that's an audacious claim. How can Paul really say that? I mean, think about it. If we just go to chapter 15, which we'll get to, and we read what the gospel is, he doesn't just say it's the cross. He says, it's the cross, it's the burial, it's the resurrection and the appearance of Jesus. That's the good news or the gospel. So 
Cross is, is a shorthand Paul will use to describe, it doesn't mean he didn't talk about the resurrection. There's a whole chapter on the resurrection coming up, chapter 15. So he talked about the resurrection. Uh, so when he talks about the gospel, the cross means the resurrection, the ascension, the ruling power of Christ. It means all of those things. And he talks about other issues as well. I mean, he's already talked about giving thanks for people. He's already talked about having unity instead of division. So he's already talked about things that aren't just the cross. So what does he mean that I didn't know about anything but Jesus and the cross when I was with you? Well, what he means is that the message of the crucified Christ, the message of the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for sinners, was buried and rose, that that Everything connects to that. Everything springs from that. Everything he's going to talk about. He's going to talk about marriage. He's going to talk about sexuality. He's going to talk about lawsuits. He's going to talk about spiritual gifts. He's going to talk about communion. Whatever he's going to talk about in this letter, it all is connected around the gospel. Now, the word gospel means good news. The message of the cross is good news. So he said, everything I talked to you about was about Jesus and the good news of what he did in the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension. It's all about good news. Why this matters is Paul's saying, when I came to you, now you guys are pursuing all this kind of wisdom, you're pursuing wisdom gurus, all this kind of stuff in your culture, philosophy, you're pursuing all these things, you're impressed with all these things. But when I came, all I talked to you about was Jesus and what he had done. I came talking to you about good news. I didn't come bringing advice. I came bringing an announcement. I didn't come bringing how-to lessons. I didn't come bringing wisdom that will enable you to better your life. I came with an announcement. The message of the cross is the gospel, and gospel means good news. The gospel is an announcement. I came sharing not what you're to do, but what's been done for you. I came announcing this good news that Jesus died for sins, that Jesus was raised to defeat the power of sin so that we could be changed. I came announcing what God has done. All other religions teach that you must do something for the gods. You must offer sacrifice. You must offer a certain behavior or life. You must go through some ritual. You have to do something to be accepted, to receive the blessing of the gods. And Paul said, I came with a totally different message. I came saying the God became man in Jesus. He came to you when you weren't even looking for him. He came to you when you were dead in your sin, when you were in rebellion toward him. He came to you and he died for sinners, he died in your place. He took your sin. He, he did what you could never do. Jesus obeyed the law perfectly. Jesus died for our sins. I came giving you the message of the cross that you're accepted by God because of what Jesus did. I came bringing this good news that you can never do anything to earn acceptance with God. Jesus did everything for you. The wisdom gurus came around and taught, here's knowledge. They were dropping knowledge on people. Here's wisdom and knowledge to live a good life. Here is a philosophical system that defines the good life. And if you follow my wisdom pathway, you'll have the good life. Modern self-help teachers give keys to success, secrets of success, 
Modern self-help teachers tell us what you need to know to achieve your dreams, what you need to do to fulfill the dreams of your life, what you need to do to identify your purpose and fulfill it for your joy. And Paul said, I didn't come with any of that. I came saying, Jesus did this for you. It's totally different. It's the testimony of God. It's the good news that changes everything. Paul said, I preach Jesus and him crucified. That means that you view your past, once you accept Christ, once you believe in him, you view your past differently. Jesus comes to redeem your past. You don't have to live in the shame and in the regret and in the burden of your past. Paul was a persecutor of the church. Paul endorsed murder of Christians. He knows something about the good news erasing the sins of our past. The good news affects your present. Today, if you believe Christ, if you are in Christ, you are right with God. You are declared right. You have been adopted. You are in his family. It does not matter how you feel about that today. It does not matter what you're thinking. That is the truth that the cross reconciles you to God if, you be, if you've repented and believed. The, the, the good news changes your future. We are being transformed by the gospel to become more and more like Christ. We're being conformed to his image as we continue to repent and believe. As we continue to die to ourselves and to follow him, he is transforming us by the power of the Spirit. So future life change is tied to embracing Christ and him crucified. It's tied to coming back and saying, my life is not built upon what I've done. It's built on what Christ has done for me. The comfort of that, the peace of that, so that I'm not seeking to obey to win favor. I'm not seeking to obey so that God will owe me something. I'm not seeking to obey to earn a blessing. I'm obeying because I've already received the blessing. I've already received acceptance. And out of a heart of profound gratitude, I can say I could do nothing, but he did everything for me. I gladly offer my life in worship. Paul said, I knew no other message because that's the only message that will transform the Corinthians. There's not another message. That's why he said, I knew nothing else. And there's there's not another message that will transform them to being light in a very dark place. And so he resolved to know nothing else. He resolved to know a message about human weakness and divine power. And as a church, we want to be gripped with that same message that it is, we are here to celebrate. If we're here to celebrate anything about us, we're here to celebrate that we're weak and need a savior. And that quickly transfers our celebration to boasting in Christ. We boast in Christ because we see what what have we, what wisdom do we have? How did we find God? He found us. What did we do to work our way to God? He came to us and forgave us. We want to be gripped by that. And if we want to see a movement of the gospel in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, Throughout our culture, if we want to see a movement of the gospel take place, it'll be tied to this message. 
it won't be tied to a thousand other places that we can all be tempted to go as Christians and as a church. It'll be tied to week in and week out in our lives meditating on this truth that God has come to us in Christ and has rescued us and has changed us. It's the power of God, and Paul wants to make it as clear as possible to them. It's a cross-shaped message, and he is, number two, a cross-shaped messenger. A cross-shaped messenger. The messenger reflects the message. Think about that. If it's a message of power, then it's going to be human power and human strength. And the pressure is going to be on externals. Do I look good? Am I, am I exuding confidence and wisdom and knowledge? If, if it's all about our power and tapping our power, and sadly, this is in the church, not just in the world, but if we embrace that in the church, it's in my own heart to be tempted to put on the best front, to act like I know, I, I know that temptation, it's the temptation to, to have it together. It's the temptation to not need anyone else. And yet Paul says the, the message of the cross will shape you so that you recognize your weakness. I mean, does this surprise you? It does me that Paul says, verse 3, so the first thing is the message, verses 1 and 2, the messenger, verse 3, I was with you in weakness, I mean, if you read in, in the book of Acts, and Acts 18 is when he starts this church in Corinth. If you read in Acts 18, you'll see he, throughout, he has been bold. He has been courageous. By the time he gets to Corinth, he's also already been stoned in Lystra. They stoned him and left him through rocks at him, left him out for dead. And he gets up and walks back into the city. Uh, he was beaten with rods at Philippi. He was run out of Thessalonica. I mean, he had endured a lot before he got to Corinth. So you, he doesn't seem like a, a weak guy. When we think of weakness, it didn't mean that, that he was, I don't know, a frail buttercup. I, he, it wasn't like he was just, it wasn't like he, you know, like he lacked anything. Uh, he, he was a man with ability, but he embraced his weakness. What was his weakness? I came to you in weakness. What was it? Well, he doesn't tell, and that's the beauty of the scripture, because I think we can import, we can receive that and go, okay, it doesn't have to be one weakness. It could be my weakness that the Lord wants to meet me in. It could have been a physical issue. Seems like he had some kind of ailment when he was in Galatia. It could have been the constant persecution and abuse that he took. That, that takes a toll. That could be the weakness. He could have been somewhat um, marginalized economically at this point. We don't know that. But in Corinth, he didn't receive money from them. He, he sold tents. He made tents and sold them. So we don't know if that, how lucrative that was. He, he could have, so he could have had some lack. We, we don't know. It doesn't say that. Um, we do know this, that when he was in Corinth, God spoke to him. He was going to leave. And in, in Acts 18, this is what the Lord, he appears to Paul in a vision. And he says, do not be afraid. That, that's, that's one of the most common uh, commands in all the Bible, do not be afraid. Why? Because we're afraid. So if, Paul co if God comes to him and says, do not be afraid, likely he's battling that. But go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you, for no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in this city that are my people. So God comes to him and says, don't be afraid, keep going, because I'm going to do a great work here, many that I'm going to save. And then he stays there for 18 months. 
So it could be that there was this constant threat of persecution where he's like, man, I'm afraid to speak up. It could have been that. We don't, we don't know. We do know that he embraced his weakness, though. In one of the most startling passages of Scripture, um, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, he, he says that he's given a, Paul's given a vision. And um, he goes up into heaven, and he has this great vision. And then after he has this vision, it says... Uh, he says, he reports to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, so to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation. So he had this great vision so that I wouldn't be conceited about it. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power, sounds like what we're reading, doesn't it? My power is made perfect in weakness Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Listen to this. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is Paul's self-definition of his leadership. There are weaknesses in my life, and I embrace them because when I am weak, there, then I am strong. One of the ways that leadership is spoken of in our culture, and I see this in church culture, I don't know if this is mostly in church culture or if this is in uh, other cult- in, 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 the, in the culture around us as well, I'm not quite sure, but I, I hear a lot about talking about developing a platform. Developing a platform. A platform is a place, uh, well, I'm on a platform right now. So it's the idea that you create through your work, through your message, through your marketing, you create a platform so that you have something to deliver to people, that you have something, but that you have to work at creating this platform so that you have something, and often the platform is you. You have this platform which is you, and you sell yourself, promote yourself to others. That, that's a common idea. That would have been the Corinthian idea. And that would be our idea. I need to create a platform. Now, I'm not saying we don't need to work hard so that we can, I'm not opposed to, I'm not saying we need to, I'm not saying in the marketplace we don't need to work hard to open, to, to, to see doors open for our, our products or whatever. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying in Christian leadership and is, is, is in the leader's life who is a believer, Paul says, I'm not creating a platform to showcase my strengths. I'm creating a platform that showcases my weaknesses so that God's strength is on display. Because when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then his power is on display. And that's why he boasts, not in his skills, not in his strength. Matter of fact, he says, the wisdom teachers in Corinth, I'm not going there. I'm not going with rhetoric. I'm not going with lofty speech. I'm not going with rhetorical flair. I'm not doing those things. There was a means of communication in his culture that he did not do. Their their culture was sold on very dramatic rhetoric. Our culture, not so much. If you watch like TED Talks or something, uh, or you watch the talking heads on news broadcasts, our communications culture tends to be a lot cooler, not as dramatic and flair. Um, it, tends to be, it tends to be somewhat cooler in delivery. But in their culture, it wasn't. He says, I'm not going to do that delivery system because it draws attention to me and I want to draw attention to Christ. Weaknesses, hardships. I remember as a young guy, I was a young preacher, and I was invited to preach at a church on a Sunday morning that was probably at that time, 
I don't know if I could do the math. Eight times as big as the church I was at? I don't know. For me, it was the biggest audience I'd ever spoken to. And uh, I was invited on a Sunday morning and the pastors were meeting uh, behind, uh, you know, back behind the stage to pray before we got going. And I was sick. I had traveled. I was very, very sick. I was feeling terrible. I was like, oh man, I got to preach this thing. I was already feeling the pressure, all the pressure of what will they think of me and all the selfish self-promotion. Uh, I want to do a good job. I want to be thought well of, like to be invited back, all the kind of things. And uh, so we were praying behind, beforehand and I just said, hey guys, could you pray for me? I'm really feeling terrible. I'm sick. And the, the pastor, the lead pastor just said, I'll never forget. He said, yes. <laughs> he said, that's the way we like them. We want them weak and sick because the power of God comes to people that are all, I was like, wow, well, would you please pray for me? Anyway, they did pray that God would heal me. They didn't just say, Lord, make him sicker. Get the anointing oil over here. We're going to play on the brink of death, Lord. No, they didn't pray that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they didn't do that. But they, they, his response was, yes, God's going to do something today because you are not feeling strong in yourself. This is good. I think Paul would have responded similarly. Because he boasts. Now they compassionately prayed for me. Boast in God's strength. Cross-shaped message, a cross-shaped messenger, and then lastly, a cross-shaped method. The method shapes the message shapes the man, the message shapes the method as well. He comes simply proclaiming without the dramatic flair of the culture. It's kind of a cultural thing, but he didn't put on airs. He didn't try to be sophisticated. He didn't try to be some faux intellectual. He's not slick and overly polished. He's plain, he's clear, he's focused. Jesus and him crucified. That's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to build the church on. That's what we're going to celebrate. That's what we're going to sing about. That's what we're going to pray about. That's what we want our affections to rise to. Jesus, the one who loved us and rescued us. Jesus, who did everything for us that we could not do for ourselves. He's not into salesmanship. He's not into manipulating people. Matter of fact, there's a word here used, demonstration. He, he comes not with plausible words of wisdom, verse 4, but in demonstration of the Spirit. This word demonstration I read was a word that was used in rhetoric, and it was used when someone was making a speech that when they made their, we might call it the closing arguments or something, when they made their closing point to bring it home, that was it. It was the demonstration, or we might say the proof. And he's saying, rather than doing a rhetorical demonstration, so at the end, here's my closing arguments, I just renounced Jesus and the Spirit was the demonstration. Because dead people, spiritually dead people started believing in Jesus and blinded eyes were opened because I didn't obscure the message so that you were impressed with me, Paul would say. I made the message clear. The delivery was unimpressive to your culture, but you know what? God used that and the spirit came in power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. Paul was not cultivating a self-following. He abhorred that because that would be people trusting in man. That would be people elevating an individual. He wanted them to trust God, not personalities, not Christian celebrities, not Christian authors, not Christian pastors, not churches. He wanted them to trust God. We can be thankful for authors, we can be thankful for leaders, we can be thankful for churches, but our hope rests in God, in God alone. 
and his message and his life and his method all circled around that so that the package was unified. It was Jesus Christ and him crucified. What does that mean for us? Well, I think first of all, it's a call for us to freshly embrace the power of the gospel. As a church, there's a lot of, a lot of us are new here. Um, and so a lot of us are trying to figure out what's this church about. I do invite you to come out Saturday, whether you want to join the church or not. We'll watch your kids. We'll feed you two meals. And we'll hopefully teach some things that will be helpful. I hope so. Um, so please come to that if you would. But if I could say very clearly what we're about, it's this passage. This is what we want to be about. We're not there. But this is what we want to be about. This is what we're seeking to emphasize. This is what we're seeking to value. That we have a laser focus on Christ we have a laser focus on the work of the gospel and that we are seeking to experience that together. One author, commentator, David Jackman, writing on Corinthians said this, the church in the West during the last century has been involved in an increasingly desperate search trying to find what it is that will really impact our culture. Isn't that true? The church has been trying to find what is it that will really impact a culture, but all the time the answer is staring us in the face. It is Jesus Christ and him crucified, God's power in human weakness. We, we look for so many ways to impact the culture. We look for so many, we must do this. It, 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 politics will impact. That's our hope. Or it's having a really big church that's our hope. Or, or now more recently, it's having a really small, personal, intimate church. That's our hope. Or it's this program, or it's this style. It's this dress and culture and feel. People want to come to a church like this, fill in the blank. And that changes about every year or two, the studies of what's the latest. So it's what is fashionable to the culture, and we chase so many things. This is the key that will impact our city, that will change people's lives. And the answer all along, as he says, is staring us in the face in verse 3. Paul says, I knew nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Secondly, we want to freshly embrace our weakness, not only the power of the gospel, but our weakness. Paul came in weakness. God told him, I will protect you. I will protect you. Speak. I have many people in this city. And so Paul says, I'm content in my weakness. I embrace my weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, I celebrate my weakness because when I am weak, then I am strong in God. That's what he says. It's the, the message of the gospel, chapter 1, verse 18, is the power of God. Chapter 1, verse 17, he said, I didn't want to use eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Power comes through his human weakness through his honest, sincere, clear methodology. He embraces weakness. Where are you weak today? Here's my temptation, and yours as well, I trust. It's to run from weakness. It's to hide weakness. It's to not let anybody else know about my weakness. It's to communicate strength. It's to pursue strength. If I pray about it, I pray, God, get my weakness out of here. Paul did that. He prayed three times, but after he saw the Lord wasn't answering, but God said, my grace is sufficient. So Paul said, okay, then I'll receive this. What is your weakness today? God will, 
God will do more through your weaknesses likely to affect the lives of others than your strengths, oftentimes. Because in our strengths, I'm self-reliant, I'm self-confident, but in my weaknesses, God help me. And that's where God shows up. Now, if we're wise to pray in our strengths, God help me, God will use that. But God uses weakness. And and I, I find that oftentimes we just want to run from weakness. Where do you feel weak today? Ask for God's help. Maybe you're facing situations, you're a parent, and you just feel your limitations. You feel your weaknesses today. You're at a good place. I'm not saying if you're sinning, being in sin is a good place. Confess sin, acknowledge sin, turn from sin. But I'm saying every parent's weak. If you have the impression that, man, some people have that area all together, they just every, you see people on Sunday morning, you don't see them at their home where there's stuff going on. Uh, everyone in here, every parent has reactions that they don't want filmed and shown up here to the church. Every parent has weaknesses. Every parent says, I don't know what to do in this situation. And rather than run to that, we need to humble ourselves and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Help me. Ask for help from someone and watch the power of God sustain, equip, and change. Watch God use us in spite of our limitations. Maybe it's in your work. Maybe there's something about your work life where you just say, oh, it's so difficult. I feel out of my league. And the temptation could be to don't let anybody know. Just put on a cover. Uh, you know, I'm not saying send out an email to every employee in the company saying, I'm terrible. You know, I'm not saying do that. But where can you get help? Where can you acknowledge your need in the situation? How can your prayer life come around that? How can you say, Lord, this is an opportunity for me to need you and for me to humble myself before a coworker, before a supervisor, before a partner, uh, before a client? This opportunity for me to humble myself and be real and get help. Maybe it's in your witness. There's people you want to see come to Christ, but you don't know how to share with them. And you, I don't know the answers. I'm not eloquent. I, I don't, they may ask something I don't know about. And this passage addresses that. In my weaknesses, God will be strong. I can share this. It's the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. We want to answer questions the best we can. We want to answer questions. We want to welcome questions. But there is no magic bullet that's going to convert someone because you can answer, answer some mysterious question. The magic bullet is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the message that's going to open eyes. And you can explain that. I can explain that. Maybe it's emotional weakness. Maybe as part of your life, you battle depression in an ongoing way. Now, obviously, pray about that. Seek to get help in that area for sure. I'm not saying just don't do anything. But if the Lord doesn't change your makeup there and you experience that as an ongoing battle, ask how can the Lord meet you in your weakness to show himself strong? Maybe you're being opposed by others. Maybe someone you love is persecuting you. Paul had persecution. In your weakness can be a platform for God's strength. Don't run from weakness. Don't hide weakness, rather run to it. If it's a matter of sin, confess it to the Lord. Ask for forgiveness and power to change and open your life to get help from someone. If it's a debilitating physical weakness, which is not an issue of sin, or it's some other kind of thing, circumstance that you can't help, you can't repent of, um, 
And then the same thing, we just express that, Lord, I'm in a bind, I'm in a hard situation, I need you. And watch what he does. So we freshly experience the gospel, freshly embrace our weakness, and then expect that we're freshly going to experience power. The message of weakness doesn't mean that you stay weak. The message of weakness means that you have set a platform for power, the power of God through you, in you and through you to others. It's the the way to experience spiritual power. We're shifting our reliance away from human strength so that we may encounter divine strength. We want to be strong as well. We want our church and our lives, we want to exhibit strength as well, but it's the strength of God's Spirit working love in our hearts and working His power through us as we repeatedly return to Christ and Him crucified. It's the foundational reality that we are needy people and He celebrates His power. He brings His power to needy people who recognize their need. We are recipients of His work and we only expect, you come into the kingdom of God, you become a Christian by humbling yourself, bowing your knee, bowing your heart before God, admitting your sin and saying, I need you as a savior. I cannot save myself. I need your forgiveness. That's how you become a Christian. And guess what? That's how you live the whole Christian life. It's, it's acknowledging our need. It's turning from sin. It's asking for his power. It's faith and repentance. It's humbling ourselves together with others. It's seeking his strength every day. This is a daily thing. I want to get to the place where I don't have to be needy anymore. Like when do I get to the place where weakness is gone? Well, Paul never arrived there. And he's like a little more mature than us. And he never got there. He had weakness until he met the Lord face to face. And that's God's plan, but it's a wonderful plan because it's a place where we find strength in him. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.